0: Well, let's read Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, we're going to read verses 1 to 10. And I just want to admit at the outset, this is my favorite 10 verses in the Bible. Um, uh, my, own, my own experience of God's grace, salvation impacting me uh, as an 11-year-old and then again as a 16-year-old has really been around these verses. And um, there's, there's, these are verses that my grandfather talked to me about. One day when I was visiting him, he used to live around the corner, and we had to go around and do things like set his VCR so that it would record um, and things like that. And I can remember him talking to me about Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, and and I can remember thinking, I want to live my life like that. Uh, and uh, and so as we read it, uh, I'm really praying that the Holy Spirit, that, that, as Paul prayed in the first chapter, that the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened. Uh, you know, when we read Scripture, we're not just reading for um, uh, knowledge intellectually. We're reading for knowledge knowledge In a Hebrew sense, we want to experience the things that Scripture talks about. Isn't it great that we can read about the feeding of the 5,000? That's great. But wouldn't it be great to experience a miracle of multiplication in our own resources? Because the reason the story is in the Bible is not so we could know it, it's so that we could experience the reality of what God's wanting to teach us. Amen. So as we read, let's have our hearts open um, and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us. Amen. It says, This once. Once, it's almost like once upon a time, but it's not. It's once, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. Underline that, please. Uh, Maybe cross out the word your and write the word my. Uh, If you want to, you could write, instead of you, you could write, once Jordan was dead because of his disobedience. And you might even want to write in the margins just some examples of the way you've disobeyed God. Uh, Lying, cheating, stealing, farting, and lifts. There's a whole lot of ways you've dishonored God and dishonored people, and all of it is sin, Right? How many you know that it doesn't, you know, uh, the last time I did do a fart in a lift, it was awesome. I was, there was, there, at, at the offices in Auckland, the lifts are a bit dodgy, and so there's about 10 of us, all the pastors, we we're all in the lift, 10 of us in the lift, and the lift broke. And I thought that was a great opportunity, uh, just to bless the brothers, and uh, it was awesome. 20 minutes later, we were rescued from the lift, uh, and I had less friends than the beforehand, but I had a joy in my heart that couldn't be replaced by anything else. The, um, you know, we, the point that I've lost because of my stupid joke is that, that we've got to remember where this all begins. It begins with once. So the story of salvation, we know in the first chapter, it begins before creation, God plans. But our story begins here. This is where our story begins. God's plan is bigger than our story. But our, we're introduced into the world in this place called dead in our sins. That's who we were, that's who we were when Jesus found us, that's what we are. We were dead in our sins because of our many sins, not just some sins, but our many sins. We used to live in sin, verse 2 says, just like the rest of the world. You might want to change that. I used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil. That's quite strong language, isn't it? Well, you know, because often we minimize skin by talking about, we use words like mistake, or failings, but but the Apostle Paul here is ruthless as he just about always is. We used to live in sin, obeying the devil, and the devil is the commander of the powers of the unseen world. He is a spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and the inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature. We were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy and He loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, He gave us life when He raised Christ from the dead. It's only by God's grace that you have been saved, for He raised us from the dead along with Christ and He seated us with Him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. This is the, the blood-bought rights and privileges we have that Alan was talking about. And God can now point to us in all future ages. In all future ages, God points to Matthew Gilbert. And he says, look, here's an example. Stand up, Matthew, so that people can see an example. Here's an example. Stand on your chair, Matt, and give us us your best pose. There you go. Here's an example, here's an example of the incredible wealth of God's grace and His kindness towards us, which is shown in all that He has done for us who are united with Jesus Christ. Have a look around. This is an example of God's greatness, God's love, God's kindness to us. That He would draw us together, as Alan said, as Linda said, as a family, all of us from different backgrounds, different parts of the country, all the world. He'd draw us together in this community of grace. That community of people forgiven, set free, empowered by the grace of God. This is an example of God's greatness, of God's power, of God's kindness, of God's love. This is it, the church. We are it. We are the thing that says to the universe, God is great. We are the thing that says that. The stars aren't the thing that says that. We are the thing. We're the thing that God points to. We're God's first example that he points to and says, this is how great I am. Look, Wakash. This is how amazing I amazingly am, Leah Leopeturu. This is how fantastic I am, Shane and Yoko. As not aren't Shane and Yoko fantastic? I think they're fantastic, but you know what? God does too. And God brags about Shane and Yoko to all of his friends. Look at this couple. Look at what God's doing in them, changing them, transforming them. This is the example of God's goodness, His grace, and His mercy. Amen? God saved you by His grace. Everyone say grace. God saved you by His grace. The next part of the phrase, next phrase in that verse says, when you believed. So this combination of grace and faith, we have grace when we believe, that grace is available to us when we believe, that grace is almost around us all of the time, but is activated when we believe. It's almost like grace is like LPG filling the room, and the moment our heart sparks with faith, there's an explosion that transforms things, right? That's how it works. When we believe, no, we don't believe in us. So often in Christian circles, we talk about a grace through faith and we're saved, we're justified by faith, and we miss the point of Galatians, which says we're justified by faith. It actually says in the Greek that we're justified by our belief in the faithfulness of Messiah. I don't believe in my faith, I believe in his faithfulness. That's where I'm justified in my believing in his believableness. My faith in his faithfulness is what saves me. It's what triggers grace into my world. You can't take any credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things you have done. Salvation is not a reward for the good things you've done. None of us can boast. Everyone say, don't boast for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things that he planned for us to do from long ago. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, Lord, would you, would you, would you impact our hearts today with the, with the truth that you've, that you've contained in these words, that they would be more than words for us today, Lord God, that is the, this truth of your grace and the power of it, your transforming, your recreative work in us. Lord, I pray that for each and every person here, those of us who've been following you for a long time, those of us who've just begun this journey, I pray for each and every one of us, we'd go away with a greater experience of your grace, a greater awareness of your love for us, and a greater assurance that we have purpose and meaning in our daily lives. We pray it in Jesus' mighty name. Everybody said? Everyone shouted? Everyone screamed and waved their arms Pentecostal-like? You got you, So many of you played along with that. That is so awesome. So awesome. I don't know if you've been reading right through Ephesians much. I've, I've sort of suggested you do that. And I've been doing it obviously a lot as well. I'm preparing these messages um, and stuff. And I hope that as you read it, that you're impacted by the Holy Spirit. You know, the realities of following Jesus, of living a life in the Spirit, that's what they used to call it in the 70s, a life in the Spirit. The realities of following Jesus is, and living a life in the Spirit. Do you know, there's a massive movement in the 70s that, was, that, that taught people the, the, the difference between going to church and living a life in the Spirit, living in the Spirit of God. The realities, though, of following Jesus, the things that we're really called to, The fact that we're really called by God, that's a reality, that we're really loved by Him, that He really planned to save us before He planned to make the world, that He really is available to us, that the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us and quickens our mortal body. These are things you can't understand just with your head. I'm praying that as you've been reading it, as we're preaching, that it would impact your heart, that we've been seated with Christ in heavenly places. I pray that your perspective is shifting on the problems that you face, that you can come at them from the position of sitting above them in a heavenly place. I reckon, I, reckon I, I really believe that this is something we've got to get a hold of, the reality of what it means to follow Jesus. It impacts your job when you're working at the New World. It impacts your job when you're driving a forklift. You drive a forklift differently when you're full of the Holy Spirit than you do without the Holy Spirit. You do, you study at university differently when you're full of the Holy Spirit than when you're not full of the Holy Spirit. Right? Talk to people who get saved in the middle of something and you find you can hear the story. So if you've been saved before you started something, you don't realize how much better it is with God in that process. Right? Talk to someone who got saved in high school about what was high school like before Jesus impacted your world and what was high school like afterwards. Talk to someone who's a solo parent. What was it like being a solo parent without the Holy Spirit? What's it like being a solo parent with the Holy Spirit? You'll hear two very, very different stories. One's not easier, but they're, bo- they're, they're both just as hard as each other. One of them, though, is empowered by God's presence, empowered by His love. This, these realities are bigger than any other reality. The reality of God's presence, His grace, His love, is bigger than the reality of your mortgage. Some of you are like, well, I've got a pretty big mortgage. Yes, you do. But God's grace is bigger than that mortgage. It's bigger than the cost requirements. Right? It's bigger than what, they, what the employer thinks they're looking for. It's bigger than the insurance claim. It's bigger than anything that you're currently facing. But it's not just bigger than other realities. It's realer. It's more real. God's love is more real than the hurt you feel. God's power is more real than your weakness. And in fact, in your weakness is where God's power is truly displayed. It's more real. It's not just a, God's not just bigger. He's more real. He's more, He's more alive than alive is. He's more powerful than power is, right? I'm praying that these realities would impact us because it's actually the reality of God at work in our life that transforms us. And some of you are disciplined people. Some of you are not disciplined people. Some of you are holy people. Some of you are not holy people, right? But what changes any of the dynamics of your life is not your ability to be disciplined or your ability to be not so much holy but moral. Because moral is different to holy. Holy is a work of God, right? Right? But what changes our life is God at work. And The old song is this, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in His wonderful face, and the things of this earth grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Try and change your bad behavior by focusing on your bad behavior. You will get nowhere. Can I promise you that? Try and transform your life by focusing on God's glory, God's love, the reality of who is, and you will find the things of this earth grow dimmer and dimmer in your life. Everyone say grace. Grace is such an interesting word, and so much has been written and said about grace across the centuries, um, but grace is actually pretty simple, right? It's actually pretty simple. God extends grace to us. When, when, you, have a, uh, when you have a dignitary say, let's say, an international dignitary visiting your home, you extend grace to that dignitary. You extend grace to them, right? Why? Because they're they're the famous dignitary, right? So everyone else might take their shoes off, but if the dignitary doesn't want to take their shoes off, you don't throw them out, you extend grace to them, right? When a famous sports person is talking or a famous business person is talking or someone who's done something great in science, we all listen, Why, do we, why is Richie McCall, when he says something, it gets reported on national radio, right? But the person who plays number seven for Petoni at the moment, same position, same job, same number of tackles, they not get that, because not, they, we extend grace to these famous people. We listen to them. We, we, we position them in our thoughts. We position them in our hearts. That's grace. We, we extend this something, this this quality to someone, which covers up their... The fact that they're actually just as dumb as everybody else. The foreign dignitary is just being rude when he doesn't take his shoes off, but because he's the foreign dignitary, not because of the first, but because we've chosen to extend grace. Do you know, you extend grace to your children? I, I've seen, you know, the Thai kids in the high chair. If I went round to Putty's house and threw food on the carpet, I wouldn't be extended the same grace that those girls are, right? Why? Because I don't have the same place in Putty's heart that those girls do, right? And God extends grace to you. He extends grace to you like he would a foreign dignitary. He extends grace to you like someone who's actually achieved something, even though you haven't. And he extends grace to you like we do to our children. You know, when, when children do things like they ride a bike, you know, the world's full of, there's billions of people around the world riding a bike as we speak. But when Lucia rides a bike, it becomes a newsworthy event. It gets videoed. It gets shared on Facebook. And we we give her high fives. You are amazing. More amazing than the seven billion other people who are currently riding a bike right now. You're more amazing than them. Why? Because of the grace I've extended to Lucia based on the position she has in my heart. That is grace. Grace gives us, God gives us what we don't deserve and he saves us from what we do deserve because he is so good. God didn't save me because I've got great, I had great potential. God didn't look down from heaven and say, oh, I really need Jordan because he can really help me out. No, I, there wasn't anything that I could offer to God other than the brokenness of my own sin. God saved me. He saved me just like He saved you, dead in my trespasses and my sin. He saved me by grace because of the position that He gave me in His heart. In verse six, it goes on to say that God's grace doesn't just save us from a sin, but it positions us above everything else. It positions us in a position of power and authority and influence. That's what grace does. When you see someone, in a position of power and authority, it's grace. What allows Pastor Bruce to speak to church movements all around the world is the grace of God that's on his life. Pastor Bruce is just another farmer from Tihoro. right? Where's Tihoro? We can't even tell you now because that red shed, that red cafe burned down, right? The only landmark for Tihoro is now gone. But what gives someone who's just a farmer from Tuhoro the ability to speak to people who lead churches or movements with millions of people in them, what gives him the ability, the authority, the power to do that, isn't what he has to offer. It's the grace of God that saved him and has positioned him inside call. Everyone say you can't take any credit. You can't take any credit for what God does. Do you know, um, free is never free. Salvation is the free gift of God to those who believe, but free is never free. An example of this is a, a few weeks ago, we, we had some problems getting a, um, a Sunday night venue for church, right? So we put on a free dinner at a restaurant, right? So, so we all went along and, and, you know, my kids thought it was free. It's a free dinner. Why? Because they think everything's free. They've, they don't pay for anything, Right? Some of, some, of you, some of you thought, hey, it's a free dinner, right? But mature people here, they knew that it wasn't a free dinner. Someone was paying for the dinner, right? Who was paying for the dinner? Everyone who tithes. All of the mature people who contribute with the tithe, they're the people who also understand it wasn't free. It's not free for us to use this building. But it is also a gift of God. Hey, here we are. But someone pays for it, right? The same with the gift of God for salvation. It's the most expensive free gift that ever was given away was the free gift of God. It wasn't free for God. It was a free gift to us from God, but it cost God everything of value. Everything that He could value, the thing He could value the most, He sacrificed that so that we could be extended, the grace that is extended to us. Amen? Do you know it's a sign of maturity as you grow up that you understand how much things cost? And it's a sign of maturity that you understand how much grace costs? When you're a brand new Christian, you just receive the grace of God and you make mistakes and you receive the grace of God and you make mistakes and you receive the grace of God. As you mature in your faith, when you sin, it becomes much more painful because you realize how much it costs. When you're immature, do you know what you should do when you're immature? You should enjoy being immature, right? But as you grow, this idea of the grace of God, the nature of it changes, we realize that that's why we, you, know, you can get depressed and grumpy in the middle of years because you realize, man, life's got this cost to it. And there's this, this faith journey is a challenge for us to get our head around. But maturity says, no, I understand the cost of my salvation. I understand the price that was paid. My, my grandfather played on the wing for college rifles in Auckland's club rugby competition in the, nine, in the late 1930s. The Oxford Blues, uh, a club that's full of history, and as a winger, Wallace Albert Greenwood was fast, and he claims to always have looked sharp in his number ones. He could, however, barely catch the ball. Uh, He had a genetic condition that he's been passed on through the generations, uh, which results in a lack, a decided lack of physical coordination. Bear in mind, rugby balls in the 1930s weren't what they are today. They're much more difficult things to catch. A waterlogged, sodden lump of leather, right? Uh, in high school in Australia, um, my grandfather was never allowed in the silence lab after his first visit uh, where um, things were broken, a fire was begun, uh, and uh, the teacher himself, the, he managed to joggle the teacher's elbow, spilling acid all over the teacher's hands. Um, the teacher was also the cricket captain, and so uh, my grandfather, throughout his high school years, instead of doing science, he rolled the cricket pitch. He was not a coordinated man, but he was fast and he was enthusiastic. In a significant match against some old rivals, the story goes that Wallace Albert Greenwood was heralded a hero after scoring the winning try. There's not much there. Scoring a try is one fantastic thing. Scoring a winning try is something the Crusaders will have to wait for for next year. Anyhow, <laughs> thanks, Tim. Give it up. <laughs> but uh, that's not even in my notes. just the word of knowledge. That's just the, that's just the Holy Spirit. Anyhow... To score the winning try is fantastic, isn't it? To score a winning try against an old rival, that's fantastic, isn't it? Uh, and he was, he was named man of the match, carried from the pitch, as, you, know, you know, old school style. He was lifted and carried from the pitch. Uh, and... Um, Everyone else sort of unaware that what had actually happened was someone, uh, uh, a forward had fly kicked to the ball. That was one of the things they used to do in the 1930s um, because it was very hard to touch the ball. If you're a forward, you weren't used to it. And so he was just hacking it in the, out of the mud. And someone, with the, they had flat-toed boots and someone had just hacked it out of the mud. Uh, and my grandfather being the fastest person on the pitch was the first person to get to it the ball had already crossed the try line when my grandfather got there and as he was bending down to pick it up his intention was to run it around under the posts to make for an easier conversion uh, as he was bending down to pick it up he fell over and scored the winning try now the reality is that's what grace is like you're a winner look at you you're a winner you're the man of the match right? Because you fell over in the right part of the field. God happened to position it that way. God fly-hacked the ball. God positioned you in a place where sometime or other you were in a church hall or in a youth meeting or you were walking by yourself on the beach, and the grace of God impacted your life, and you can't take any credit for it. My grandfather took a lot of credit for the winning try, and he boasted, but he had no right to do so. Now, the thing about boasting and boasting in the grace of God and, and boasting about how holy we are and boasting about how awesome we are, the thing about it is I've, I've been a Christian for a wee while. I have never, ever, like never, ever heard anyone say things like, I don't know about you, but I know God saved me because I am awesome. He really needed someone like me, and I'm helping God out with good ideas that he wouldn't have had otherwise. I've never heard anyone say God chose me because I was already pretty holy and he only needed to touch me up. I've never heard anyone say that, right? Cause, but we all do it. We all say it in in, verse, in, in reverse. We, we say the inverse of it. And this is how we do it. When we judge somebody else as unworthy of grace, what we're saying is there's something wrong with that person. Here's how you do it. Pastors are the best at this because pastors make mistakes and then it becomes public, right? And you hear pastors say, you know, pastor in America, normally they seem to have problems with making mistakes anyhow. Pastor in America makes a mistake and we, people know him, we all say this, I can't believe it. Why can't you believe it? Have you met yourself? You know what you're capable of. Why is it hard to believe That other people could fall into struggles and sin in exactly the same way you do, except no one's found out about you yet. Right? What are we doing? We're saying that somehow there's something about us that's more worthy. But we can't boast. The problem with boasting, we can't boast. You can't afford to boast. Yes, you've, you've paid, you're, you're responsible with your money and you've got your position well financially. Yes, you have a strong marriage or yes, you've got great kids or, or yes, you, come on, all of that is the fact that you fell over on the right part of the field. Come on, if you are here and you got more money than most, it's because you were lucky. Have you been faithful with it? Good, that's good. But that's not why you have it, right? God blessed you in that way for purpose that we talk about at the end, not because You're awesome. It's only because he's awesome, right? Here's the other thing we do. When, we, when we, we reveal our poor perceptions of God's grace when we judge others as not worthy of God's grace. But we reveal the absence of a grace experience in our own life when we judge ourselves as unworthy. When we judge others, we reveal we don't understand it. When we judge ourselves, we realize we haven't really experienced it. The greatest danger in judging others is that, as Jesus says, that the way we judge others is how we will judge ourselves. If we're real hard on other people, then what we'll find is that we'll be real hard on ourselves. Now, I'm not not suggesting for a moment that we have a cheap grace because our maturity understands cost where we understand that the, the price of our sin is massive, which is why we don't want to sin. We want to maintain relationship with God. We want to live in the Spirit, live in a place wholly devoted to God, right? But when we make mistakes and then we judge ourselves unworthy of God's grace, what are we sort of saying? We're sort of saying, okay, so let's say, um, I'm trying to think of examples that aren't too weird, but let's say we're, we're feeling good and we feel full of the Holy Spirit on Sunday. And maybe we feel really good because we've been at a shout conference or we've had a rise conference over the weekend and the Holy Spirit ministered to us, so our spirit's been lifted, right? Which is that's a good thing, right? Then we make a mistake and we, maybe maybe we 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 fall into a struggle with sin that's that's common, or we fall into a struggle with with sin that is something that we do all the time, let's say that all the time sin comes back, and we're being, you know, we're, 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 maybe you find yourself gossiping, uh, you, you find yourself lying, uh, you find yourself mistreating other people, right, and then we realize that the gravity of our sin and the Holy Spirit brings conviction, at which point we need to repent and say, God, I'm, I don't want to live like that, I want to live in your grace, I want to live in the Spirit of God, and i i, I denounce that behavior, and I want to receive your grace and your love, right? But we don't. We, what we do is we, we barrel down deeper. Because as the Holy Spirit brings conviction, the devil brings condemnation. So the Holy Spirit says, hey, that thing you did is wrong. You're a son or a daughter of God. You're a person who's holy and devoted to God. That behavior doesn't match who you are. The devil comes and brings condemnation and says, that behavior is who you are. When we judge ourselves as not, are not worthy of God's grace, we separate ourselves. See, when we do that, when we say, yeah, look, I've made this mistake and now I'm not worthy of God's grace, reversing it back, when you felt worthy of God's grace, what was that based on? Now I've made a mistake, I don't feel worthy of God's grace. People say all the time, oh, I couldn't come to church because I'd got up to all sorts of mischief. Well, There's no confession booths here. But this is the place you come to confess sins. It's why the music's loud, so no one else gets to hear about it, right? Because that's, that's why we have four songs, because it takes you at least three to warm up. Doesn't it? Right? This, that's why we come to church. But say, oh, I couldn't come to church because, you know, people say, oh, if I come to church, the building would fall over. Well, who do you think goes in there now? Bunch of holy people? You, when you did go to church and when you were worshipping God, was it because you felt like you were worthy in yourself or was it because you were, you were aware of God's grace that makes you worthy, aware of His grace that makes you whole? We've got to understand that when we, when we separate ourselves because of us and when we choose to walk away from God, I don't know if you can get this, but what we're saying, apart from the fact that it's 11.15 and Wakash well, has arrived, Thanks, okay. what we do when we're saying that, it was saying that, Those moments when we did feel good was based upon our own sense of self-righteousness. And then that sense of self-righteousness gets popped and it should drive us back to grace, drive us back into relationship with God, drive us back into worship and praise, drive us back to scripture, but instead it drives us deeper into sin because we embrace the condemnation because of the pride that set us up for failure in the first part. You say about grace, you can't take any credit for it and neither are you expected to pay a deposit for it. It's not like God says, I'm going to make you perfectly holy, but I need 10% up front. God just says, no, come on, I'm going to, I want to make you perfectly holy. I'm going to rebuild you back together. And we'll to talk tonight about the next parts of the passage that talks about how we're recreated. Isn't it cool that God recreates us? He doesn't just polish us up. I'll put some mag wheels on it, throw some bananas in the sump if I can sell it for a thousand bucks. That's not what God does to us. God's not here to patch you up. He recreates us. In In the Christ Jesus Christ manifestation in human form, His death, His descent to hell, His resurrection, and His ascension to glory. In that process, God recreates you. God's creative work is out of nothing. God doesn't take your brokenness and make it into something good. He takes your brokenness and throws it away and makes a brand new thing called you. That's who you are. That's grace. That's how it works. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you close your eyes and bow your heads and let's pray. Perhaps you hear you've never taken an opportunity to acknowledge Jesus as your Savior. And everything I've said so far this morning about God's grace is available to you but it's predicated on this idea that at some point faith would come alive in your heart where you'd go from just knowing about God to responding to Him most people in the world know about Jesus or they've heard about Jesus and certainly in our world, the western world people have heard about Jesus they've seen the decorations at Christmas they've eaten Easter eggs but it's not about hearing about Jesus it's not Knowing about Jesus, it's the decision that we make where we say, I'm going to give my life to Jesus. I'm going to make Him the Lord of my life. I'm going to choose to follow Him. It's the decision we make, same decision that says, I'm going to allow God to forgive me. I'm going to ask Him to forgive me. I'm going to receive His grace. In a minute, we're going to pray, and I'll lead us all together in a prayer. But before I do, if you're here and you've never made this decision before, could I urge you to do it this morning? Why don't you make the decision where you say, God, I need your grace. Would you forgive me of my sin? I'm choosing today to follow you, making you the Lord of my life. If you're here this morning, I've asked everyone to close their eyes and bow their heads. So you do have some privacy. But why don't you shoot your hand up if that's you. Say, yeah, that's me. I want to respond to Jesus today. Throw your hand in the air. Give me a wave. When I've seen your hand, you can put it back down. And then when people have had a chance to respond, then we can pray. I haven't seen anybody's hand yet, but if, if you wanted to make this decision this morning, just shoot your hand up, give me a wave, and then we'll pray. That's awesome. As you've got your heads bowed and eyes closed, each of us, in some way or another, we despise God's grace in the way we judge others. It's immature. But it's also dangerous because when we judge others as unworthy, we'll find ourselves almost invariably making the same mistakes as them. And we'll find ourselves having to judge ourselves. And when we do that, we put ourselves in a place where we we choose to separate ourselves from God and we we, we miss out on this flow of God's love, this flow of God's grace. I, I really feel like I'm speaking to people who struggle with not just feelings of unworthiness, but a deep experience of being unworthy. And that even sometimes in attending church, you feel like this isn't really your place. And in lifting your hands and worship, maybe you feel uncomfortable, not just because it's weird to lift your hands, but because you think, well, who am I to approach God? Well, can I tell you, you are an example of God's great love, His great grace. And just like me and just like everybody else, we come to God in our position of weakness and brokenness. He takes that from us, and the work, His work in our life recreates us into the plan and the purpose He has for us. So maybe just respond in your own heart, and let's pray. Maybe you want to open your hands. And I'm just going to pray that God just actually ministers, the Holy Spirit actually ministers right into that, that sense in your heart of unworthiness. And then maybe through the week, as you're reading this Ephesians chapter 1 and chapter 2, you'd see this glorious God in chapter 1 who reaches down in chapter 2 and gets a hold of you. In the middle of His glorious plan, He says, I'm going to grab a hold of this one to include them in my body, to include them in the glorious temple that I'm building. Holy Spirit, right across this room, would you minister to hearts? Just respond to God in your heart. Maybe lift your hands. Maybe you don't want to do that. Maybe just... Just in your heart, just say, "God, I feel that I feel this unworthiness." And I just pray. I really believe right now, you'll actually feel. Right now, I can just sense the Holy Spirit, like almost like a shower. It's a weird sound, but you're going to feel like the presence of God just washing away, just pushing away, even like layers of unworthiness. Even some people here, there's words that have been spoken to you, where people have actually said things to you like you're far from God God could never use you or you've said these things to yourself God I, I, you could never use me God I'm so far from you I'm such a mess I'm such a waste of space come on if you've said those things about yourself just allow them to wash off just let go of those judgments you've made against yourself Holy Spirit we welcome you to minister we welcome you to minister Holy Spirit bring freedom bring freedom just say welcome in my heart Holy Spirit Welcome in my heart, Holy Spirit. Welcome in my heart, Holy Spirit. The picture I get is just of a door, like um, like a hobbit door being opened, and the Holy Spirit coming into the dusty heart, the dusty recesses of our heart. Holy Spirit is a, like a fresh breeze. Come on, what would it feel like to feel worthy? You can never, you can never live up to the worthiness God's already given you. But what would it feel like to worship God worthy? Why don't you stand to your feet? Let's lift our hands. I just want to pray one more time before we go. I want us to pray. We're gonna, I'm going to preach more into this tonight. but God's grace sets us free from our sin, seats us in heavenly places. We're recreated in Christ Jesus for the good works God's planned for us. You know, grace isn't just about being set free from our past. It's also about being set up in our future. That actually there's a role for you to play. And I really believe this passionately. If there's, if there's 10 people in Equibus Church Wellington, or if there's 10,000 people in Equipers Church Wellington, we're here to change the city. And we do it by grace. That's why I can say that confidently, even though I know that I don't know what I'm doing. Right? I know that Luke is a new Christian, but I know he can transform his workplace because the grace of God is on him, right? The same with all of us. We can do what God's called us to because of the grace of God that's at work in us, not because we're super awesome, because we're not. We don't need to, but we don't need to be, right? God is amazing. God's at work. Let's let's lift our hands. I I want you to pray, and I want you to pray this prayer. Dear God, reveal to me the things I'm called to. Reveal to me the way I'm called to live. Dear God, I offer my life again in acts of service, in acts of grace, in worship to you for the transformation of the world. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.